I don't like the, the, the icky stuff. I mean, no guts for you. I don't even have a Swiffer. I need a vacuum cleaner. (laughs) mop. Like I don't want anything on the floor. Like (laughs) gross. Like I don't like, um, it's just too messy. Horror Movie Survival Guide is a weekly podcast where I, Gorehound Julia Marchesi, delves into my horror movie notebook to corrupt another one of my longtime chums, Terry Gamble, who is hiding in the creepy horror closet. My mission is to learn the gospel of horror movie survival and to incorporate Julia's wealth of wisdom to become a final girl disciple. Join us as we take a deep dive into everything from OG horror to newly released films, but preferably classics on VHS. We'll talk about obscure details that no one else notices. Spin off into alternate casting universes, crush on some dodgy, foxy fellows, and creepy uncles, and arm ourselves with the knowledge necessary to become the final girl. Hey guys, welcome to Horror Movie Survival Guide. I am so excited today. Like I'm freaking out, geeking out. This is a dream come true. Julia, today we have on, like I'm, anyway, I, uh. (laughs) Do it, do the introduction, man. Okay, okay, I'm here (laughs) to introduce the amazing Julie Klausner. She is a writer, actor, podcaster, author, and all around brilliant, funny lady. She created and co-starred in the cult hit Hulu show, Difficult People, produced by Amy Poehler and co-starring Billy Eichner. Her podcast, How Was Your Week, was called one of the few essential podcasts by the New York Times and was named one of the best 10 comedy podcasts of the moment by Rolling Stone and in GQ's comedy issue. Klausner has been the head writer and EP of Funny or Die, presenting Billy on the Street, the craziest show on television. Um, she's also written for Mulaney, Best Week Ever, The Big Gay Sketch Show, one of my favorite things of life, because it's very seminal, seminal in my upbringing. I'm freaking out. Um, also, Schmigadoon, one of the best musical creations of the pandemic. Um, and uh, she's also currently working on the new season of The Kids in the Hall. She Woo. co-hosts the Double Threat podcast with Tom Sharpling. The amazing Julie Klausner is in the house today. Oh my God, welcome. Oh, wow, thank you. What an introduction. It's such a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh my God, you have no idea. I'm I'm <laughs> over the moon, excited. Like you are just been like one of my heroes. So just oh. to get to meet you today, it's just like a literal dream come true. Oh, so thank, thank you for you. coming on. That's so, I really appreciate that. And like I said, I'm, I'm delighted to be here. Oh. Thank you. Um, So can you start, can you just tell us about kind of uh, where movies started in your life and how, how, what you do in movies are kind of. How you fell in love with the, the, with cinema and and art and comedy and all of that. Oh my gosh. Well, I mean, I can't remember a time where movies and television and theater and music weren't, you know, first and foremost in my field of vision. I like a lot of people who were perhaps too obsessed with pop culture. I grew up with, um, I, I don't want to say like no friends, but I definitely like learned more about human beings, uh, you know, vicariously from um, pop culture than I did from interpersonal relationships. But I, with you know, no television allowance, and my parents were pop culturally savvy enough to introduce me to stuff, and my older brother would introduce me to other stuff. So I, um. I grew up, uh, you know, just sort of watching everything and listening to everything and reading everything. Um, the, the funny thing, though, as far as horror is concerned, is that I was an incredibly phobic child. I was really, really scared of um, 
like any movie. Like it, it took me a long time. I remember going to movies as a little girl and then I had a period like between like eight, nine, ten, like where I was super, super scared of going to the movies and seeing something that would upset me. So I just did not go to movies until my parents were like, this is going to be a problem. And um, I remember like one night they forced me, they, they didn't force me, but they tricked me. They were like, we're going to go get ice cream. And then the next thing I knew I was at a movie theater and they went to like, they took me to see like Police Academy 3 or something. Um, oh, wow. Was there yeah. like a traumatic, like tra yeah. theatrical event that triggered that whole thing? I saw like a very upsetting commercial parody on Saturday Night Live where like Victoria Jackson had too many fingers and there was like a fake ad to get your fingers like burned off. And oh, I remember that one. That really messed me up. I mean, everybody has these like formative childhood, um, you know, exposures to some like traumatic image or traumatic um you know like movie moment that was one of mine i mean there were there were definitely more i could t i mean i feel like this is a podcast in its own right but that <laughs> one that completely particularly screwed me up and then that and then later i met george meyer who who wrote that and i kind of like confronted him and he was very apologetic but there were a lot like body horror in particular freaked me out and anyway it took me a really long time to come around to stuff that was scary and admit that i had this not just what i used to call a horror curious mind but also a a, a like just like I can now enjoy horror and and um, obviously I um, have my parameters like there are certain things that I, I can't handle like animal cruelty is one of them mm -hmm. um, and I also relish spoilers when it comes to this genre I um, I don't like to be too surprised when it comes really? to certain yeah I mean it depends like if it's something with a cool twist like I'm I'm ready, but if it's like, I don't know, like, I'm not a fan of jump scares, I guess. There, there's oh, there, there's the website, right, where it says where all the jump scares are. Oh, yeah. I love does dogdie.com. I love it. Mm -hmm. Can't get enough. I wish there were, um, you know, I wish there were more, because I, I, like, I wish there was a uh, does the dog die for books. You know, every every genre should have, um, like, a, a trigger, you know. And I know people are like, oh, you know, this generation needs trigger warnings. It's like, yeah. You know, we, we would have done yeah, we it do. children. Like, <laughs> it saved us a lot of pain. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Well, we are mad spoiler heavy here. So if you ever, if there's ever a scary movie you wanted to see, you just listen to one of our episodes. And honestly, it. we tell you everything that's, that's happened in the movie. So you'll be totally yeah, fine. That greatly. I wouldn't have been able to make it through, you know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Even like The Shining. When I saw The Shining for the first time, I had like the Wikipedia open, which I know is... <laughs> extremely offensive and there are Kubrick fans that would probably like you know like put my head in a toilet and flush it but you know I'm I'm ready to I'm ready because now I can watch it without the Wikipedia open and I you know watch it in the dark even so I've gotten to where I need to be do you remember the first horror movie that you watched that really terrified you um that's a great question I mean I didn't watch horror when I was a little girl specifically because I was such a scaredy cat right um, but I, even like, I will say growing up in the eighties, which I, I did, Freddy Krueger was ubiquitous. You yes. would see him around more than you would see Mickey Mouse. I mean, he was everywhere and he was consistently upsetting. There was no visage of him, visage, uh, where he wasn't, um, you know, completely of 
himself. Like there was no like cute, like, you know, like the Beetlejuice cartoon. Like there was no like Freddy Krueger cartoon where you're like, oh, it's a different. I know he got more Borscht Belt as the series continued, but there was never an instance of Freddy, even when he was at his like goofiest sort of roast master general self that wasn't inherently terrifying. Oh my God. Completely, completely. Yeah, that was the one. He was the one that I was terrified of. It's it's uh, he's my it's my favorite horror movie, Nightmare on Elm Street, the original. Um, but it it terrified me as a kid. I had I had nightmares. I, I just showed a Nightmare on Elm Street to my mother when I was home for Christmas, um, and I had warned her it was going to be bloody and you know might be too gory or whatever. And she was like, "Yeah, it was fine. It was great. No problem. I liked it." And I was like, "All right, hardcore mom." <laughs> Your mom is so hardcore though. Like honestly, like she she begat you. So there's there's something there. Um, so wild. Um, so what like you weren't even into like Rocky horror or anything like that as a child or anything younger. I was very curious and I used to go to the comic book store and and we're talking about pre adolescence. So adolescence, I got a little bit, you know, I was a little bit less of a scaredy cat, but when I was a, you know, like third grader, I was into Archie comics. So I would go to the comic book store. And then of course the comic book store would have all this horror, you know, it would have Fangoria magazine on sale and it would have all, other sort of stuff that I remember, you know, thinking like, oh, that's the section of the store that's not for me. The same <laughs> way that when you'd go to, you know, Spencer Gifts, you'd know that there was the adult section, which I guess had its own, you know, lore compared to the whoopee cushions, which are really just, you know, sides of the same coin at this, you know, you can sort of look back and sort of see it that way. But, um, but, but yeah, it took me, it took me a while. And then I was very curious about Rocky Horror specifically is such a good example because when I did go to that comic book store, I wish I could remember the name of it, but I remember it was on Central Avenue and Yonkers, um, that uh, I was like, what are those? They had, they had trading cards with the lips on them. Oh. And speaks to you now, I'm in my apartment and I'm looking right now, I have a light up box sign with the same lips on it. Yes. Yeah. So iconic. But I remember asking my brother, like, what's the deal with this movie? And he's like, oh, it's this movie where people shout, you know, horror at the screen. And I was like, tell me more. But um, <laughs> it wasn't until later when I got a sense of, you know, what that whole what that whole scene was. And, and you know, thought like the, the, the cult element of it was sort of more interesting than like the substance of it, mm-hmm. I guess. And have you you've gone to like a midnight screening with the whole razzle dazzle, right? I went to one and I'm good. And I, and I love, oh. <laughs> I went to okay, now tell us about that. What happened in college, but it was the one in Manhattan. So I don't think it was like as, you know, potent as it would be in suburbia. And especially because I wasn't at my, you know, like I wasn't at the, the age where I think Rocky horror is ideal, which is that you really, you're interested in sex, but you don't know exactly what sex is. So, and I don't think that movie does either. I think it kind of circles around, um, you know, like taboo, but it's not really, it doesn't, doesn't really get it in. I saw it for the first time at 12. So yeah, yeah. I'm the exact audience you're talking about. Yeah. That's exactly the right age. So I was a little past my prime and plus it was Manhattan. So obviously there was a certain amount of cynicism, but then a year or maybe it'd be like um, a year and a half ago, last Halloween, I went to a drive-in because it was, you know, pre-vaccine COVID and the only movies you could go were, you know, so I went to like the Brooklyn drive-in and that was so cool and so fun. People were shouting at the screen from outside their cars. Oh, um, the extent great. Like, attendants came around, they're like, keep it down. And my friend Shane said, this is how you watch the movie. And they didn't care. But it was, 
so so great to be a part of something, especially during that time of isolation. That's so awesome. Now, Julie, we also bonded, I think, over this uh, pandemic because of Phantom of the Paradise. Yeah. Um, I know that's something that you love as well. And that's considered a horror as well. And a, a horror very horror, horror musical. Um, how did you get into that? If, if you know, if, 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 uh, if no Rocky for you, you were Phantom of the Paradise. I got uh, turned on to Phantom of the Paradise by a friend of mine that knew that I liked musicals, but I've always liked musicals with an element of the darker stuff in the you are you are made for the show this is us this is us you give us we want horror musicals we want our sweeney todd's i love sweeney todd i mean that's the thing is like i love broadway musicals but if they're too sunny then i get a little nauseated so i i do need a little bit of dirt in my sandwich when it comes to the genre <laughs> and Man of the paradise is a perfect marriage of that sort of sickly 70s um you know, Paul Williams score combined with the um, just absolute like brutal, just like brutal misogynist gaze of Brian De Palma um, in, in, even though Jessica Walter is obviously like a triumph, uh, not Jessica Walter, I'm sorry. Harper. Yeah, Jessica Harper. You know, rest in power, Jessica Walter. Um, I, uh, I just love that movie's style. And then the more I watched it, the more I was like, this is this is this is like you said. I think this is way 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 more disturbing than anything in Rocky. Like the the sadism of it, um, like the the cruelty of like the themes. It is it, it's very very haunting. Yeah, it definitely has a darker tone than Rocky Horror, even though they're both in the same kind of vein. Mm-hmm. But you know, I think the the mastery of Brian De Palma is on display in that movie. I think that's one of the most when you say to palm like that's what i think of that the kind of camera work and the the crazy uh, edits the and split everything. screens the split mm-hmm. screens which i yeah i fucking love and i think it's interesting because i saw that movie for the first time edgar wright showed it at the new beverly and he said like this, this is a movie where on first viewing you might not like it but then you keep watching it and the more you watch it the more you realize how brilliant it is and i found that to be true there's a lot of times i've showed it to people on the first time they're like i don't know what to think about it but then they like they had the same thing i'm like okay it was actually really awesome it's just so unlike any other movie it kind of takes you a minute to wrap your head around it absolutely i mean i loved it the first time i saw it just because i love musicals and i'd never seen anything like it and those if, if there's something i've never seen anything like and the music hits you right away then i'm completely in it for the for the long haul the long haul but like it is true that it opens itself up on a you know, multiple viewings. I just think it's so funny how much Winslow hates the juicy fruits. I think <laughs> it's so funny. His, his, his like abject horror towards them is just, it's classic rock snob stuff. I think yeah. um, that has a, a sequence that I think is really interesting where you have um, Swan when uh, hi, the mirror sequence in the, in the tub where he's selling uh, his soul, uh, that the version of the, the Satan that you see is yourself. And I was like, that might be like one of the most terrifying portrayals of Satan I've seen. It's like, really, if you think about how horrifying that is. Yeah, that's interesting. I never really dwelled there. I, I think that like the part about Swan, besides the, you know, tooth removal stuff at the beginning and just right. the institutional okay. cruelty of like, you know, incarceration and people yep. in the society being completely disposable and worthy of experimentation upon. And that's still too real, too absolutely in the tradition of that in this country but um the the cruelty of swan like um 
you know, brick walling him into the studio. I remember this last viewing was really, really chilling and not just because I'm claustrophobic, um, but because I thought, uh, wow, <laughs> that is really, really me. It's all right. He's going to get his comeuppance, right? Yeah. And that, that wedding sequence at the end, mm, chef's kiss. I know chef's kiss, but until chef's kiss, like there, there is the, like, for example, with horror, like I still have these, not blind spots. I know about them, but I can't watch funny games, for example. Like that's okay. something I'm not going to be able to make it towards because there is a sadism and cruelty yes. that, you know, the same way that I'm like, I can't, I can't handle anything with animal cruelty. It's like there, there's something where it just, it goes past vengeance. It goes past curiosity. It goes past mental illness. It goes past like these, you know, operatic themes of character that just goes into people being specifically cruel to each other that I just cannot handle. And there are certain things in horror movies where I'm just like, I can't watch this part. And for some reason, this last viewing of Phantom of the Paradise, like I was like, oh, that's a little bit more than I can handle right Mm -hmm. now. But, you know, depends on what mood you're in too. Right. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's very cathartic and there's something about, you know, (laughs) seeing anybody for for taking pleasure in things that i don't have the stomach for in that moment i don't judge people at all with that stuff well yeah because people have probably felt that about some of the crazy stuff that you've made julie like that's that's amazing that's amazing that's like a john waters as compliment (laughs) that's the best kind of compliment there is jesus holy goodness Patches the clown, Julie. I am like <laughs> still to this day, like clowns are like one of my things that I'm like terrified of. And like, we're definitely going to be doing a round of clown movies this year specifically because I just want to confront it. But that whole, whole sequence in Difficult People of you playing a clown lady was too much. It was okay. so good. And so I'm just curious, and I'm not going to ask you your age, but I do think that clown horror is relatively recent in the last, like, I'd say like 20 years um, where it got to the point where like circus stuff was just like, I, I feel like people might be moving on from it as a cliche horror wise. Do you think it started with Pennywise in the 1990 version of it? Maybe. I mean, it's definitely, like, he was definitely like the first, like not first, but like he was definitely like a, you know, marquee headliner. But um, I do wonder if you have memories knowing that clowns are a trigger for you. Like if you have memories of clowns ever being not like, not scary. Like, did you grow up with clowns? I grew up with clowns at birthday parties. I'm 42. Julia and I are both 1979. Got it. Got it. And so, um, same month, our birthdays are coming up very soon together. Uh, Yay. Um, um, but no, I, I remember being sent home from like a birthday party as a child when I was like five years old, because there was just like a a bunch of clowns. And I was like, nope. See, that is street cred to me because you were (laughs) Before clowns were like you know intentionally scary, so <laughs> you got the real deal. Um, what is it called? Like clonophobia or yeah. No, it's it's legit. But I also like like looked at history of clowning and like clowns were always kind of creepy, even back in the day. Like the start of them was kind of creepy because yeah. they were, you know, like the like just like the Commedia dell'arte kind of aspect and like history of them into that. But that's a whole nother thing. Um, meant to be read by people at the very back of the tent. That's why they're right. right. You know, so like that's why like Trixie Mattel will always evoke clowns is the idea that you're supposed to see them if you have the cheapest seats in the circus. 
I love that. And I love that she does that too. And she terrified me for a while till I listened to her. And I was like, no, she's brilliant. So yeah. I love Trixie now, but it took me a minute. <laughs> oh, too much. All right. So clowns, uh, any other inspirations for you as far as like your writing? Cause I'm just like, so I'm just curious more about like your process and like what, what gets you jazzed? What are you excited to write about? What do you, what kind of characters, what kind of stuff do you love? I like anything that haunts me until I investigate it. And often the haunting will come out of a, of like an aversion to it. So it will be that sort of thing that, you know, says like, oh my God, Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer is on Criteria. And I can't believe that they're suggesting it to me. Why would I ever watch that? And then the next thing you know, I'm watching it two days in a row. Whoa, um, see, that's hardcore, man. Well, that was one of the ones. So there are a couple of things I've like, I haven't seen Last House on the Left. And oh Henry- my God, it's, it's brutal, but it's fucking brilliant. I mean, it's it, it's a remake of a Bergman film. So I'll, I'll probably watch it tonight. Um, but this um, <laughs> show was one that like, I remember people telling me, never watch that. Or I watched that. I'll never watch it again. Or that's the scariest thing I ever saw. And there's this one. And I finally was like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to get through it. Even if I have to get through five minutes. And then I watched it. It's like, yeah, it was upsetting, but it wasn't terrible. Um, so there are these things that haunt me because they have their reputations precede them. And, and that was the same thing, like morbid curiosity, I'd say. So growing up, I had an older brother and he had these books that I have. There are three editions, there are three, um, uh, editions of them, the cult movies by Danny Peary. If you're familiar with those volumes, mm-hmm. um, might be out of print but i'm sure you could find them online and my brother had a copy of um of like at least the first one and he would like check off the ones he'd seen so before i ever and this is pre-wikipedia they would have these detailed you know plot summaries so before i could ever like read about pig flamingos there was this book where i could look at photos and hear from him like there's a part where they like you know, where she eats dog shit or they fuck a chicken or there's a lady with eggs in a playpen. And I'm like, oh my God, that's so crazy. And I don't want to watch that. Why would I want to watch that? And then all of a sudden you're thinking about it all the time. So it's that, you know, forbidden fruit element of it where you're like grossed out and upset by it, but then you sort of can't stop thinking about it. And so then you have to investigate. And, you know, with like Henry Portrait of Serial Killer, for example, I'm at an age right now where I wouldn't have been as like I'm not as sensitive to it than I if I'd seen it in high school and it you know completely upset me. Now I can say like, oh, I understand why this movie is disturbing. Besides like the home invasion sequence and like the utter lack of empathy from these like characters, this is a sound design heavy movie. I could see uh-huh. great Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer is upsetting specifically because it is a sound like the I'm, I'm telling you, watch that movie yeah. you're mute or you watch it with like. The, the sound of him, like, you know, cutting that dude's head off. Like, I'm telling you, that is why that movie is disturbing. So now, because I'm at the age I am, first of all, it's a lot harder to shock me. Um, so any, any like, you know, promise or temptation of that happening is very exciting because you're, you know, totally swamped with, with so much stuff that you're, you know, you need something that's really outrageous to break through the malaise. But yeah. then because I have acquired like the the you know technical um sort of like knowledge but also kind of like jaded savvy that I could say oh I understand the mechanics of this I understand why this is disturbing and I see it like I see what you did there um 
So that's interesting for me just to to seek out. And then in terms of like inspiring me for my writing, I think comedy and horror have a lot in common and that you're looking for surprise and you're looking for shock and a lot of, you know, like what makes you laugh is just something that's like either so horrible or so stupid or some version in between um, that it just kind of like falls into the ridiculous and your brain attaches to it like it's some kind of, um, you know, sugar rush. So I, you know, I think I, I'm, I'm always like, I'm, I'm always like aware of when those two areas like overlap, I guess, at least at least when I notice them. That is a fucking amazingly eloquent. And now it makes me want to ask, like, how, what is your favorite comedy horror? What about when those two worlds actually collide? Well, I don't like Scream. I know this isn't the, I know that I'm not answering the question, but I don't like Scream. And I've been thinking about it because the sequel just came out, right? Right. Um, and I saw it a couple of years ago for the first time. And I remember thinking, this movie is really full of itself and it's gorier than it needs to be. Like that scene at the beginning with Drew Barrymore's guts out and everything's like, it's upsetting. It's, you yeah, didn't, it's very upsetting. You didn't need that. And like, I, you know, you're, you're like straddling, you know, satire, but you're also like, you know, kind of jerking off to your own erotica, like in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of comedy horror, like what, what would be an example of that? I'm trying to help so me think out loud. Fright Night or Once Bitten or those Happy kind Death of- Happy Yeah, something where you have that element where it's not taking themselves 100% seriously. I like April Fool's Day. Yeah, yes, that's a good one. Yes. That yes. was really fun. Um, I, I like I like really schlocky horror as long as like the sexism isn't deafening because there's so <laughs> in the wow. 80s, you're like, do we need to see bare tits? Like, can't like... Yes, so, within a do. minute, within a minute. Do. It's gotta be, on, or else it's gotta be on the cover. <laughs> enough with the murders. Like, do I need to like... Make sure that people have an erection as well. Like that, that bums me out. I can't. I, that was you know. definitely the marketing campaign for a really long time. So. Oh my. <laughs> and, and there's absolutely like, there has to be some study at some point down the road where people in our generation, um, you know, like evaluate like these slashers and say, you know, at what point does you know the same way that like whatever you're watching porn wise as you're growing up like might influence your sexual habits later even if they're subconscious or your sexual whatever turn-ons so um yeah that was some wire crossing that in retrospect i look back and i'm like all right but um i guess friday the 13th three there's some funny stuff in it if only because that guy's pal has a frank zappa poster in his bedroom (laughs) (laughs) um but um but but yeah, I guess there are some comedy horror crossover things. But then the worst case scenario of that is like the crypt keeper who's just like, right. Like, I've got a terrible pun after this. Like, yeah, it drives me crazy. You and Julia can bond on that. I'm obsessed. I love a bad pun. And he's like the king of dad jokes and horror all in one to me. And I just I, I, I eat it up. What about I, um, Shaun of the Dead? Um, I like hot fuzz. Um, More. Yeah. Yes, I am also, but I think that is also an extension of my not liking the zombie genre, which is okay. going to, uh, which is going to dovetail with what we're talking about later today. So I don't want to get a, ahead of the. the oh, we're the, almost there. You can. We're yeah. almost there. We can do it. You but can it's segue a, if you want a segue. I'd rather. I'd, I'd rather die. I'm like I'm enjoying chatting about all kinds of, you know, odds and ends with you, ladies. Yeah. But I uh, am not a zombie person just because i don't like the the ick i guess i 
I, I like the idea, and like I said, what does this have to do with the movie we're going to discuss? I like the idea of someone you know not being that person you know, and that's really upsetting, not just from a like dementia point of view, which is a horror that a lot of us go through with you know, aging family members um, or people that we know that get sick and it's yeah. incredibly, you know, existential and just a fundamental human fear. Um, but um, but also, you know, on like a mass sort of societal level. But the grossness of zombies, not, I, I like I, that's why I never watched Walking Dead is it just seemed too gross. To me, okay. you know? So is it, it's the guts part because you were talking yes. about like head decapitation earlier, like decapitation's fine, but like guts being eaten. And you talked about Drew Barrymore's guts as well. Is that the problem? Yeah yeah i don't like i don't like the 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 icky stuff i mean no guts for you i don't even have a swiffer i need a vacuum cleaner (laughs) a mop like i don't want anything on the floor like it's gross like i don't like um it's just too messy it's too messy it just doesn't it doesn't hit the same spot mentally than like other kind of like more conceptual horror does to me like it's just the it's the ick it's the like little boy let me get my hands dirty in the slime kind of uh, instinct okay i've never heard anyone with that type of aversion and that's why but i love this <laughs> and I, think, I think it's like insects too which are like creepy crawly i mean again i know so they like crawl- arachnophobia stuff like that I just think it's gross and it makes me react the way humans are supposed to react yeah. around insects because insects um, suggest decay and we're not supposed to hang out with corpses because it's really bad for Disease us. Disease and danger. Disease is supposed to be repulsive to human beings. So, uh, you know, and that and I also heard something about insects are disgusting to humans because of the way they move. Like they're they the don't low- move right. No, they do not. So um, so that to me is gross. Whereas the alien from the movie Alien, the, the like giant one, I think is really compelling and scary in a kind of like predatory. And not, not that that alien isn't gross. Obviously, it's very gooey in its own way. But I think there's something about the enormity of it that is less about the ick and more about the uh-oh. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And the artistry of it as well. I think that's one yeah. of the ones you can't help but be oh, like, oh, it's terrifying, it's but it's so, so beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. so beautiful. It's so original. And I think, um, you know, I'm sure you guys have read the that Jason Zinneman book, uh, Shock Value, where he talks about different genres of horror. And one of them is like the, what is it, like the monster in the, the house or mm-hmm. the in the house and the the later in the movie you show the creature the better off you are as a director because you know the the suspense of what it could be is a lot scarier than seeing whatever it is because more likely than not it's kind of a guy in a silly suit with you know gross teeth um no matter even if you have you know rick baker doing the the visuals ultimately the imagination is always going to top that except for you know, hi, this is H.R. Giger. He is a genuine, like, monster. Like, that guy is, yeah. like, crazy, crazy little voice. I love his voice. A creepy little, like, German voice. And no offense to the German listeners, um, which is, like, a true freak in the best sense of the word. And he came out with these absolutely original... Uh, he's just, like, my nightmares are more original than yours. And he was completely right. And then he created these incredible monsters that were just like nothing anyone had ever seen before so but i think it's interesting because you mentioned earlier about you're looking at henry portrait of a serial killer through the sound aspect and i think watching horror is interesting as as a filmmaker and, and a film lover to 
see the artistry of it, to see Rick Baker, Tom Savini, this work that Rabutin, that you're like, I can't imagine how they did that. It's so incredibly gorgeous, even though it's terrifying me. And I think watching that and appreciating that artistry is part of what I love about horror movies and especially the practical horror. And I think it also as a, and we're all going to be the children we were when we grew up inside of us, like she's always going to be there and like the phobic little girl that is still you know, a part of who I am is soothed by the grown up saying, oh, this is interesting. Let's dissect this. Let's see why this is scary. I think that might be why I do what I do is because if you get behind the thing, it's less overwhelming emotionally and you can sort of feel like you have this, you know, control over these things that when you felt them when you were little were just too much um, to sort of feel like, oh, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm sort of curious about the why and the how it can, you know, if, if not prevent you being like messed up by something, it can at least, you know, speak to it in kind of a comforting way after the fact and sort of say like, well, let's take apart why that was upsetting. And maybe there's a category that that fits to like, maybe body horror is the thing that freaks you out. Maybe home invasion stuff is maybe as you get older, one thing takes over because of what you're afraid of based on your actual life. Um, I think I think there's like a, a false sense of control that we exert over these stories in order to keep them from being too overwhelming. Well, yeah, I think that comes down to what you always talk about, Julia, just about like having that safe place to explore. It's like safe therapy kind of of just like I know that I'm going to be lock myself on this ride of this movie for an hour and a half or whatever and kind of work out maybe something that I think I might be afraid of in like the safety of my home or the safety of a cinema and know that like there are parameters and it's not necessarily real, but I get to confront and face that and it feels something. Um, yeah, and, I always say it's like a roller coaster. It feels yeah. like, you know, you sit down and you, you're you on this ride and it's scary, but it's also safe. So you have this thrill that, you know, you can explore without any any ramifications, uh, except for the nightmares and, you know, terrible emotional damage and stuff like that. Um, but the thing, you know, with it, you've talked we've talked about a lot of genres of movies today that are all within the horror genre which is something that we love about it is that there is really something for everyone in within this you know umbrella of horror and then also when it's done it's done you can walk away from it and say oh uh, what's one wordle today (laughs) and you don't need to you know carry it into your life unless it is something that you you know, dwell on and can't stop thinking about, although that's incredibly unpredictable. I rewatched Pinocchio two years ago. I couldn't stop thinking of oh, the God. being turned into a donkey yeah, and the sequence is fucked it up. Is but the transformation awful. is fucked up. The part that is actually more upsetting to me is the kid that isn't completely transformed and the guy says like send him back, do it again. Uh, yeah. I, mean, I couldn't stop thinking about that for a week after I rewatched Pinocchio and it was so deeply upsetting and my mind kept lingering and going back the way like a tongue will over a loose tooth. Yeah. And I will just say like that kind of stuff pops up and it's unpredictable, but um but horror can be contained in a in a satisfying way where you know, you have a story at the beginning, middle and end. And then I also remember a certain point, you know, because I didn't grow up with horror, I didn't grow up loving horror. I got into it later in life, just realizing, okay, horrors have, horror movies usually have unhappy endings. And to be prepared for that is, you know, forewarned is forearmed with that kind of thing, where you're not, and when you do have a happy ending, like, spoiler alert, get out, it's like the sad, that's the best 
It's the best when I'm happy. Forget it. You're like, oh my God, it's Christmas. What a, what a treat. What a, what a pleasure. Well, this is what our, our, our whole podcast is about because Horror Movie Survival Guide is about how you survive the horror movie and how you can individually become the final girl or final boy. And, you know, we feel like the more horror movies we watch, the better chance we have of surviving uh, whatever comes our way. Yeah, this horror movie called Life in 2022. Yeah, 100%. No, 100%. That is that is that is every day and we joke about that more often than we should or than we've had to over the last couple of years of like which movie is like right now the most, you know, between like some of Romero's like the crazies, crazies. you know, where there's literally a pandemic and these people are quarantined in a town and they're trying to contain a virus. Just I mean, it's too much. And I really interesting how people sometimes want to turn into the skid and how sometimes people want to escape with creatures or fantastical kind of sci-fi notions whether you know you have like horror scenarios grounded in reality or grounded in fantasy um you know there there's no wrong answer when it comes to dealing with difficult times so should we talk about this movie oh yeah what Uh, so, uh, Julie, we asked you to pick a movie to talk about today, and you picked a fantastic one, 1978, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, which was based on the novel by Jack Finney, and it was written, the screenplay was by W.D. Richter. This was directed by Philip Kaufman. Uh, this is a remake, of course, uh, of the original version, but uh, an incredible film. Can I just start off by telling you guys that this movie is PG? What? How? PG. How? You know, PG's different then than it was now because there's not really a rhyme or reason sometimes for some of that stuff. Because I think even Poltergeist is like PG as well. And like quite a few other movies that like scared the bejesus out of me as a child are also PG. But this was also. Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. I didn't yeah. Mean no, you're great. This is all the ones, one of the ones that Pat Oswald said like scared him the most as a child too. So it I think so it's terrifying. Scary. Poltergeist to me, I can understand the PG because it has the benevolent gaze of Steven Spielberg at least near it. And so yeah. you feel like your dad is at least like, here's a nickel, have a scary old time and I'll see you for dinner, buddy. <laughs> that is the that is the best encapsulation of Poltergeist I've yes. ever heard. Amazing. Oh my God. <laughs> this, this is like, there are no parents. There are no family dinners in this world. We are we are adults on our own in this sprawling, strange uh, metropolis. Everything is at a friggin' Dutch angle. You know, like there's absolutely no differentiation between dusk or dawn. It all looks the same in this no. like version of San Francisco. Everything is extremely seedy with these young adults forging their ways and their careers with, you know, all the stuff that we're preoccupied with. Um, in that am- in those ambitious times, like that guy's famous and he doesn't deserve it, or I'm just trying to do my job, or my boyfriend stinks, and all this stuff that matters until it doesn't. Yep. I love that the main character and hero uh, works for the health department, which isn't something I don't think I've ever seen like a health department hero. That doesn't really happen very often. So smart. It's this guy who works for the government, ostensibly, but a local government, and he really cares about what he does, and he's really good at it. And it seems like he came to it from a good place. It seems like he came to this job because he was concerned about society and he wanted to make sure his community was protected and he didn't want anybody 
you know, screwing us over, whether it was with rat turds in our food or, you know, poisonous flowers in our mist. So it's like a well-meaning, um, you know, community organizer. The way that people, you know, tried to defame Michelle Obama. Remember when they were like, she's a community organizer. Like, I'm sorry, am I missing the insult here? Like, <laughs> yes, what's bad about that exactly? Yeah, and he he really does come at it from a, from a good place. And absolutely, and I always love you know someone who's a scientist as well. That we have um, our our delightfully uh, played by Brooke Adams, who is she's so she's so great and she's so uh logical and it has that kind of woman woman in stem kind of brain where it's like we can figure it out logical reason i would not say these things i understand how it sounds a woman in stem with bad choice in men oh uh, hashtag <laughs> yeah, hashtag uh she's also great in a uh, dead zone with yes her- she is um, she does something so funny with her eyes in this movie that yes, like that weird wiggle 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 eye thing to prove that she's human, right? Absolutely fabulous. Uh, she belongs in like a comedy hall of fame for that moment alone. And you know um, that that was just something that totally uh, William Kauf- or I'm sorry Philip Kaufman saw her do that on set and was just like, we're putting that in the movie. It's going after- in. To, and to make a man laugh is attractive, and I appreciate the, this movie's, um, you know, faith in that as well. So she, she's fabulous. Um, as is, um, is it Veronica Cartwright? Yeah, yes, yeah, she's fabulous too. The alien, oh my gosh, our, our ba- baby Jeff Goldblum, little Jeff baby Jeff Goldblum, and then of course, um, the the great Donald Sutherland. Oh. oh. He looks like he would just destroy you in the best way. Blew apart. He'd hit you with. Ooh, she wants it all. <laughs> have you watched Don't Look Now, Julie? I have not, but I liked him in Mash, and I I think he's such an incredible, like attractive male lead in this. I, I, I would... highly recommend Don't Look Now if you already feel like he's an attractive male lead in this. Don't Look Now is before this, and I feel like they were getting that same kind of energy. It's sexy as hell. Yeah. Um, he's... And him attractive, I, and yeah. I've and Clute as well, which is not yes. my favorite, but he's he's great in it. He is great in that. Yeah. So yeah, um, you, he's giving us all of that that great energy, and mm-hmm. you know, and uh, and they're on a mission to try to try to reason. I like this reasoning and rationale, and how the reasoning sometimes does not always work. That's one of the things in horror, where it's like you can't mm-hmm. use your what you already know to figure out what the heck is going on. Yeah. Right. Yep. Absolutely. And I just want to say one more time, the fact that he can cook is so attractive and he's crazy about his coworker, but he also knows that she's involved. So he, he, so he said, so he is her friend and, and there's no, you know, angle or friend zone stuff. He's just a mensch. And what a, what a great character what a great like frankly male role model that he plays in this and uh, yes yeah, so agreed and we know that the sweater that he's wearing while he's cooking and this is the same sweater he wears in animal house when yeah. the, the, the like little like butt cheek sweater wow. <laughs> that's so important that let's put that in our museum <laughs> I, would. Oh, I just want to touch it like a little bit on the sleeve i want to be a moth i want to go to town on that <laughs> <laughs> ladies 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 oh my god but yeah but he does work that walk so he's you know working the walk cooking dinner like they're having a moment um she's you know feeling uh that 
her dude Jeffrey, the dentist, is not who he seems like. He's not. He seems like not himself. But he oh, seems he, like a, it comes like it seems like a better person once he becomes a pod person, though, right? Oh, he was kind of a dick before. Yeah. Well, he didn't have very far to go. So I mean, it was like six of one, half a dozen to the other with Jeffrey. <laughs> with a G, are we are we agreed that that's a Jeffrey with a G? Yes. Yeah, he 100%. is a Jeffrey with a G. Mm-hmm. Uh, can we talk about how fucking disgusting those mud baths look? Oh my god! I mean, if this were a movie just about those mud baths, yes. I think it would be terrifying in its own right. But but uh, yes, the 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 the, the, the Belichick, the Belichick back, the story. That's what I want. Like the sprouts that people used to eat in 1978 in San Francisco. I mean, basically, we're seeing the origin story of COVID, and not in the sports. Soup <laughs> <laughs> at room temperature. Are you psychotic? And these like this, no offense. I don't mean to you know disgusting men revolting men just marinating in mud and then they don't swap the mud out you come no. back you're sitting in the same mud they farted in that yeah mud. they definitely farted as it's gurgling underneath them the whole time i was like why is it just a steady gurgle is this man just slow roll farting like it's a steady gurgle out oh the worst the, the mud is revolting but it is part of the um yeah it's the part of that like san francisco kind of health culture and i i do appreciate what it's trying to say about a city full of eccentrics and kind of imposing normalcy on or people that think they're kind of above normalcy in a way because they're so unique in that and you know and it's like well not when the spores are coming for you well, also like the psychologist, like this, like goes in with Leonard Nimoy of like him, like the rational man, the like I figured all this out. I understand human nature. You don't understand, and him like mansplaining to all these women <laughs> about what they're experiencing in their relationships and them feeling like they don't get it um, and feeling crazy. I just was like, oh, modern you psychology. To like that character? Because I, I don't, don't like that character from I don't second think one. So no, no, no. Get Doctor Gaslight. I mean, it is that. Yeah type of like psychiatrists being evil in horror movies but then you're also you know my mom's a shrink i'm very pro shrinks i think everyone in the world should be in therapy mm-hmm. that said i do see like cisgender heterosexual men being shrinks and i'm like what's your end game with this uh, i wonder well my brother is also a therapist too so i get it and he um he specifically is a black male therapist and that's kind of like a huge gap in the world so that's i know why he does it but i do but i see like with this guy though too the just the imposingness of like you know the holier than thou complex that he seems to have as well um with all these people and not realizing that there's a pattern but not thinking further than like oh it's just these people having a current current psychosis right now right and and absolutely it's almost like in medieval times he would have been like the sorcerer yeah been imbued with like it just because he happens to be intuitive and have a desire to but he just would have been bloodletting at the same time you know but he's also clearly like getting off on his fame right like that's the part about it that he likes he has this book party where everybody's talking about how fabulous he is yeah yeah and and what a great like um what's that uh like contrarian bit of casting with leonard nimoy in that role this like lovable logical guy from the you know star trek show no, he's hard here and he wears that fucking little leather glove i don't know what it's about but i'm into it and a turtleneck right like a, a like I, could a tr- lo- I could lose the turtleneck but i like the glove yeah hot um can i read from pauline kale's rave review of this film please um i think 
uh, it's because Pauline Kael is like famously harsh on, and also there was a period in her career where she just like hated everything, which, you know, God bless her. Like I'm getting to that point in my life too. <laughs> <laughs> but she, but the rave review that she published about this movie when it came out is so funny because it's like, oh, grandma's in a good mood. <laughs> like, she is. Okay. So I'm, I'm obsessed with this review. So I'm going to read um, just a little bit from the beginning and then I'm going to read from the end. And like I said, this is, it, it, and listen, like it's a, I think she was you know, ahead of her time. Like, I think this is an underrated movie, but you'd never know it from the way she writes about it. Okay. Um, Invasion of the Body Snatchers is more sheer fun than any movie I've seen since Carrie and Jaws and maybe parts of The Spy Who Loved Me. The script writer, W. D. Richter supplies some of the funniest lines ever heard from the screen, and the director, Phil Kaufman, provides such confident professionalism that you sit back in the assurance that every spooky nuance you're catching is just what was intended. It's a wonderful relief to see a movie made by people who know what they're doing. It's very true. Wow. Then she says, oh, she says, for undiluted pleasure and excitement, I think it is the American movie of the year, a new classic. And she wow. ends up saying um this set of variations on the 1956 film has its own macabre originality it may be the best movie of its kind ever made and that is from the new yorker 1978 she lost her mind when this came out and i completely agree with her i just think it's funny to see pauline kill like take off her bra and shake her titties on this movie where she's like yeah disgusting things hatching from pods i'm into it she gives it up. She gives it all up. She it's well deserved, man. And she's right what she's saying that you can tell everybody on set knows what they're fucking doing. Everyone, the camera yeah. works like mint. Every performance is on on key, yep. on board. Effects are great, perfectly used in the exact right amount. Like there's not too many of them, but when they show them off, holy cow, do they you know affect you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's scarier than the original. So well, I think that's one of those because it can go harder, right? It can be yeah. gorier and more in your face. And it learned from all the '70s movies that preceded it, all the De Palma, all the you know Scorsese, all of the you know all the new cinema. It definitely, like er- learn the lessons of it. Hundred percent. My gosh! Well, goodness. So, um, so I guess yeah. I guess the question is then, um, knowing what you know, having how would we seen survive? this movie, how you survive this movie? You mean if I were in the reality of the movie? Yes. Yeah. If you we're in the movie, in this movie. Well, I would the be movie. myself up. I'd be the first one. I'd I'd go into the dry cleaners. I'd say like, where do you get the flowers? Because <laughs> God, isn't that terrible? Where you see someone in the in like Act One saying, "Help me," and in the second act, they're like, "No, we're good," and you're like, "Oh no." Um, it's such a, it's just such a great device to like, to attach yourself to one kind of peripheral story and then see the results of it in the back end. It's just, I mean, it's predictable, but I never predict it when it happens. Um, (laughs) How would I survive? I wouldn't. I'm a total weakling. I would completely give myself in. And I also, I'm definitely someone that has, you know, I just don't have a horse in this game when it comes to suffering. Like I just I'd really rather end it sooner than later. <laughs> it's like, you, know, you know when they talk about billionaires who like want to put themselves in some sort of device so they could live forever? I'm like, what are you talking about? The fact that I even made it till Friday yet again is a miracle. <laughs> I'm like, the so- honestly, the sooner the better. I hope she 
I, I hope she's prettier than I am. I hope she has a nicer life. I <laughs> hope she has an easier time, my clone, my replica, my pod person. Also, sleeping is amazing. I love sleeping. So the part where they're taking all these speed pills to stay awake, I think, oh, that's not worth it. That's the, yeah, really brutal when you can't sleep. Oh, see a character that's tired and all they want to do is sleep. I have so much empathy for that. I mean, just like, oh, that's one of my favorite Nightmare things about Elm Street. Nightmare Elm Street. Yeah, I was supposed to say Nightmare on Elm Street all over again, where she's like drinking all the coffee and like can't sleep and tries. It's the only way to try to keep the boogeyman away. Yeah, and I mean, talk about like you know what we were talking about before, like sound design, like those sounds that they make once oh. they possessed or like. They're uniquely unsettling in a way that like, oh, that makes me feel something I haven't felt before. And that's the ultimate like accomplishment with with things like effects. And, you know, yeah. I, and, and, and really, it's like the like what is scarier, the fact that the people, you know, are no longer those people yes. and you can tell or that that's going to happen to you. Like they're both equally terrifying. The world around you is not the world around you anymore and you're not part of it, but then they're going to get you. And like, how do you, how That's, do you? It's a compliment because I don't, it took, it's very hard for me to make friends. So the minute I lose them, I think, no, 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 please. I start from scratch. Are you crazy? And most of them are pod people. Give me the pod. <laughs> no, I mean, the pod people do seem, they seem passive, but they seem happy-ish. They don't have any emotions anymore, so they are just content, right? But they all have, like, a telepathic connection, right? Yeah. It's it's inevitable, and I would just hate to be – because, like, Veronica Cartwright is the last man standing in this film, right? Yeah. Lonely way to be. I mean, just give in. It's like that thing of living forever. You wake up one day, and all your friends and family are dead. No thanks. Right. Yeah. I have to learn, like, how to – you know, what new – what – new food is like if i woke up and i was like chia pudding no 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 <laughs> well I, I love zombie movies but i've always felt that if i was going to be if there was an actual legit in real life zombie apocalypse i'm just taking myself out immediately because i'm like fuck it no way i'm gonna go through this kill all these people the people that i love and then like at the end of, after all of that what's left terrible fucking nightmare no thanks yeah, no, we no. made a pact. We're going to kill each other if we have to. Zombie apocalypse happens. Don't tell her about our murder pact, man. <laughs> I, I want in. I want in. And, and like I said, the, the very the very hint of a zombie, not even apocalypse, a zombie situation. I've got this cyanide pill out. Do you want to talk about the dog with Stephen Sondheim's face on it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and listen, the, listen, my two favorite things, dogs and Stephen <laughs> <laughs> I'm dead. Yes, do not like it, and I I'm against it. It is it's, so it's upsetting. The it's the most upsetting part, right? It's that's when you know it's like oh, it's gone too far now. Like, that's when you know, like this is like you can't beat it. It's the fucking little banjo riff over it that freaks me out. That's what freaks me out. It's like now has the has the the because it's obviously like the dog and the human melded, right? But then has the banjo also somehow melded with them together, and now it's part of them forever. I mean, it goes back to deliverance being like the ultimate fear for urbanites, right? But like, oh no, these people don't know who Pauline Kale is. You're a banjo and you're, you're doomed. I mean, that's one of the one of the things I love about this movie is even in the opening credits, you know exactly where you are. Like things have already turned. It's already too it's already late. bad. Yeah, Duval is a priest and he's on a swing set. Like the camera is askew. You know, kids oh, they're already getting that squishy, squishy, weird noise. You know, from outer space coming into. 
I was like, oh no. I like, I like too that it's like, it's not a mystery that's like we open with, oh, it's coming from space. We know what's going on. Like the other it's not like what's happening. It's like, oh, the audience knows what's happening the whole time. They don't hide that from us. It's like, right. It's an inevitable like creep in. Um and it, I I I guess there's some satisfaction to not solving a mystery, but to sort of watching like heroic, intelligent people deal with something that is inevitable. And it's like you said, there's no, there, there's no escape route in this universe. This is an inescapable um, world of its own. And I, I think that's why that last image of him is so iconic. You know, I, I would see that as a, like an avatar all over the internet before I ever knew what it was. And certainly before I'd ever seen this movie, I think it's just such an iconic image of Donald Sutherland pointing and screaming um, that I think it's sort of all you need to know. And it's just so, it, it's just such a good symbol. Um, I love me a downbeat ending, like nothing else. So when I'm like, yes, evil has won. Yay. <laughs> I get so excited. <laughs> it reminds me of Catherine Ross with like no pupils at the end of Stepford Wives. Yes. Just, yes. Oh, there goes my blood. It's as cold as, you know, it's as cold as lemonade. <laughs> that's it. That's all you can yeah. do. And it's, it's yeah. yeah, you just have to join the horde. So uh, we have a, a rating system uh, on our show. So can we go through the rating system with you and see what we yeah. rate this movie? Absolutely. Okay. So first we're going to go for gore factor. Uh, one is not enough blood to fill the Dixie cup. Two is a puddle of blood. Three is enough blood to gross out the average viewer. Four is a bathtub of blood. And five is run for the barf bag. Oh my gosh. I mean, there's the Dixie cup measure of blood, but then you take into consideration all the goo around the flowers mm -hmm. that like there, but, but that's not blood, but it's definitely like organic connective. But food. when he steps on the pod that becomes the dog pod later, that yeah. also out, and then out he a little smashes bit of blood. in his glone's face with a shovel. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So when we say Dixie think, cup, maybe like a red Dixie cup, like a like a red party cup, solo see, cup. I, I, I go for, three. I, for me. I yeah. think a full fucking five on my. That's for me because you think I it's run for the barf bag. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's fucking. I, I think it's repulsive. Like I think it's enough blood to gross out the average viewer. I don't think it's full five. The, the, the like horrible like fetus not formed thing mewling around and like a oh, yeah, sack that's of awful. disgusting oh yeah that's disgusting but that's <laughs> okay. like the like Cronenberg of it all that you like yes. hate like that's yeah, like that kind of style body horror nonsense okay if it will say three and a half how about that yeah I think that's fair okay, okay. three and a half all right and then for our movie ratings Terry you want to yeah I got that um, one if you're desperate two barely qualifies as a horror film three seen worse seen better Four, not too shabby. Five, fantastic oracle. This is definitely a full five for me. This movie's still scary, still like terrifying. Um, and like, honestly, the every year it feels like it's just going to happen, like more present. You know, <laughs> yeah, wouldn't be surprised if this happens. It's a full five for me. I think it's a brilliant film. I think it's incredibly well made on every fucking level. Chef's kiss. No, likewise, five across the board. And I will just say it's um, extremely scary. And, um, you know, scary in all the, the, the good ways. Not, I mean, well, there's a little bit of gross out stuff, but it is very chilling. And I love the, the, the mature, sensible main character where, you know, the, I don't think there's ever really a point where I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? Because I think most of the time they're doing what you what should, should be doing. 
I don't not think they should, but like, but what's people who are, isn't it nice with characters that are not only good at their jobs, but are smarter than you? I love watching characters that are smarter than me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It reminds me, um, I don't know if you've seen The Changeling, um, but George C. Scott is in that. And, like, he plays that kind of character where you're like, oh, you're not going to fuck around with George C. Scott. Like, he's going to figure the fuck out. And I feel like the same way with this, like, oh, he's going to figure it out. Donald Sutherland will figure it out completely. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's reassuring to be in the hands of someone who, like I said, like, there's just someone who's more intelligent than you and also benevolent. So he's not going to use his, you know his intelligence for for evil but he's going to do the best he can and you know make make you make you proud uh speaking of things that you are proud about can you tell us about some things you have coming up for you anything you want to plug 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 julie oh gosh i mean i do double thread every week with my friend tom sharpling and you can follow me on twitter and instagram and i will be posting stuff i do as i do it so that's just my name julie klausner um, but I am writing a lot and I, I do things, I, I promise I do things and I try to, to publish and get as much stuff out there as possible. Um, and I will just sort of keep you posted as I do it on my, on my social media, because that's what social media is for. It's not for arguing. That is, uh, is not You're- for arguing. It's for hyping, that too, though, but hype your yourself friends. up and, and, and let's talk about cute animals and dogs, you know, like that's what it's there for. Enjoy yourself on it. And if you're not enjoying yourself on it, then like, then, then, get, then get out. Yeah, I don't, it's, it's funny because my Twitter feed is nothing but absolute delight. You've curated it that way though. Like you've consciously done it right. Like you have so much fun stuff. So if you want more fun stuff, follow us as well on the internet. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Patreon. And um, we have a Teespring store for merch kids. Check us out. We'll see you again next week for another wonderful episode. Thank you again so much, Julie. You are a delight, a a pleasure, and uh, a wonderful human. So oh, much, so fun much. talking to you. I feel like we, 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 I get, I get you. I feel like you're, you're just a rad chick. Oh well, the feeling is mutual. Thank you so much for having me, and um, I just had a great time. All right, Thank sweet. Thank you.